We have been uh, doing a series uh, just in, in the interim. September the 10th, I will start a series on the life of David. But until then, we're just kind of taking a few weeks just to remind ourselves of who we are and what we're about. And so if you look on the front of your bulletin, you'll see uh, our vision statement, so to speak, exalting the king, exhibiting community, uh, and extending the kingdom of God in mission. And that's really nothing new. If you look at any church mission statement, it has some, in some way, shape, or form something to do with worship and community and mission because that's what the church is about. Uh, but we're going to just take a couple of weeks, and again, this statement has been part of this church for many, many years, and we're just going to revisit a few things uh, and refocus on who we are and where we're headed. This morning, we're going to look at the first uh, E there, exalting the king in worship. Uh, and to do that, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation it will also be in your bulletin and on the screen behind me. It was just one more early morning rush hour, and thousands of people were underneath Washington, D.C., headed to their morning commute. And there was just one more street performer with his ball cap flipped over, trying to receive tips from those that were passing by. But on this particular morning... This street performer was different, very different, because you see, this street performer teaches music at the Royal Academy of Music in London. This street performer teaches music at MIT. This street performer has produced over 24 CDs, and one of them alone has sold over 5 million copies. This street performer has received the Avery Fisher Award of Music, which means that you are the best in the world at your particular instrument. On this particular day, this street performer that I'm talking about was Joshua Bell. And the violin that he was playing on this particular morning was worth $4 million. And the $37 that he received was far less than what it cost to go see him in concert on a particular night. The study said that over a thousand people, a little over a thousand people passed by that day without even noticing who he was, and only seven people stopped to give him a tip. Mostly the people were throwing in quarters, and most people just simply walked on by. The incident was actually staged by the Washington Post by a journalist by the name of Gene Weingartner. And he actually, for his article and work on this piece, received a Pulitzer Prize for the incident. And his premise was simply this. When the magnificent, when the great, when the beautiful shows up where you least expect it, three things tend to happen. You either totally miss it, you ignore it, or you deny that it ever happened. Friends, in Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John, yes, I'm stuck on the Apostle John. 
We just finished a series through the Gospel of John. But John's the writer of the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 1, this morning, he puts before us, in the Word of God, the most magnificent, the most beautiful, the greatest. He puts before us King Jesus. And the question before every single one of us this morning is, will you miss him? Or will you ignore him? Or will you deny that he was even here? Or will you encounter him through his word and spirit and be changed? And my prayer for all of us this morning is for the latter. You see, the Apostle John pulls back the curtain. And he gives us just a small glimpse of the incredible, powerful picture of Jesus. Friends, it's this Jesus that we're going to see this morning, he is the Jesus that we want to encounter here on Sunday morning in our worship. He's the Jesus that we want to be at the very center of everything that it is that we do at this church. So with that in mind, follow along with me as I read this incredible passage in John chapter 1, starting in verse 9 through verse 19. This is God's holy and inspired word. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are to take place after this. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, would you give us a fresh vision of you this morning through this passage? Would you move us with this incredible image and picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? Father, would you forgive us this morning for the ways that we have tamed you? For the ways we sit here this morning and have made you very comfortable? I pray that you would Open up our eyes this morning 
Remove the blinders. Open up our ears. Give us soft hearts. Give us eyes to see you more clearly. Help us to see you as you really are so that we won't leave here the same. Lord, we are begging you to change us this morning, and we should expect nothing less. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The, let me kind of set the context for us this morning because I think it's very important that we do that. But the Apostle John is writing to two groups of people. First group he's writing to is to Christians who are suffering terribly. He's writing to people who are being persecuted because they follow Jesus. They are experiencing economic hardship. They are watching their friends be beheaded because they follow the Lord Jesus. And so they're done. They're ready to quit. They're ready to throw in the towel on this Christianity thing. That's the first group. Second group of people, though, he's writing to, and you pick this up as you start reading the rest of the book of Revelation, particularly in the letters, but he's also writing to a group of people who are living lifelessly. Remember, in the letters, he starts to say things like, they've lost their first love. He starts to say things like, they're alive on the outside, but they're actually deader than a doornail on the inside. Or he says they're neither hot nor cold. Remember that? But they're lukewarm. And so Jesus says, I am going to spit them out of my mouth. See, so he's writing also to a group of people to whom Christianity is no longer interesting. That's where a lot of us are this morning, aren't we? We're either suffering terribly or living lifelessly. Some of you sit here this morning in the midst of some very painful things. You've lost a loved one in the past year and you are hurting. Someone in your family is terminally ill or maybe you're terminally ill. Or you're experiencing chronic, experiencing chronic pain on a daily basis. Or you have the brokenness of your family that seems to be falling apart at the seams. Or your parenting, it is such a difficult thing for you. Or maybe you have the depression that will not leave. Or maybe you've been abused this morning by someone who was supposed to take care of you. Others of you, though, are living lifelessly. In other words, you're bored to death with Christianity. And you long so desperately for that spark and passion that you once had for Christ to return, but now it seems to be a distant memory. Some of you, maybe students, are going to college and you have had a terrible summer, spiritually speaking. And the thing about it is that you hate the fact that you're okay with that. Friends, if any of those things describe you this morning, Revelation chapter 1 is your remedy. And I want you to notice is that John doesn't give these people, right off the bat, we're in the first chapter, nine verses in, and he doesn't give them ten steps to a better life. He doesn't give them a magic formula or some principles to follow. And you'll get better and it'll all work out. No, you know what he does? He gives them Jesus. He gives them this big, powerful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, this is what you need. 
You see, John knows more than anything this morning, we need wonder. We need to be moved. We need to be captivated by something that is more powerful than we could possibly imagine. And that's exactly what John gives us this morning. He shows us Jesus and what he's really like so that we might be moved. So that we might be captivated and so that we might reorder our lives and start to live differently. And so John's solution this morning for those who are living lifelessly or suffering terribly is to be captivated with Jesus. To be captivated with two things this morning from this passage. To be captivated with his power and his presence. So power and presence are the two points that we want to look at this morning. Look at verse 10. Number one, to be captivated with his power. Look at verse 10 and you'll notice uh, that John is worshiping in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He's in exile on the island of Patmos. And as he's worshiping, he sees something and he writes it down and gives it to us this morning in the pages of Scripture. And look at verse 13. Beginning in verse 13, he starts to describe what he sees. Verse 13, he says that he sees in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man. That phrase is very interesting because that just happens to be Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself. That's Jesus' favorite self-designation. And it's commonly understood and it's very clear that that this is what John is doing in this passage. But it's a title that comes from Daniel chapter 7. You can read it this afternoon where Daniel the prophet sees a heavenly royal figure like the Son of Man who comes to judge his people and his people's enemies. And it's very clear that John is recalling that image in his mind because he sees exactly what Daniel sees. And then he starts to describe him. And I don't want to overinterpret the image because that's where people go wrong in the book of Revelation. They start to uh, just get into every little detail and they end up missing the whole point of the passage and what John is actually trying to do. So I don't want us to get too much in the weeds uh, because we'll miss the powerful picture that John is putting before us. But let me mention a few of these. And as I go through these, feel, feel what John is putting before you this morning. That's what John's wanting to do, to move us to worship. Look at verse 14. His eyes blazed. Meaning that when you looked at him, you knew that Jesus knew you deeply. See, his eyes are searching eyes. I love Eugene Peterson here. He says, the eyes of Jesus don't look at you. They look into you. His voice. His voice is one of authority. And it cuts you to the core. You see, you want to listen to this man, to this Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. And if you look at verse 12, isn't it interesting that it says that John turned to see. Did you pick up on that? To see the voice of Jesus. Not to hear, but to see. Jesus' voice was so powerful that you don't just hear it, you actually can see it. 
It says it's like the roar of many waters. So imagine being down on the shoreline at the beach and the waters, the waves are crashing into the shore. And you know how you start talking to someone and you can't just whisper because the waves are coming in and the roar of the water is so loud. And so you find yourself yelling to the person next to you trying to have a conversation. The roar of the waters. That's what John is saying that Jesus' voice is like. Verse 16. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp two-edged sword. Where have we heard the language of a two-edged sword before? The Apostle Paul. It's the word of God, meaning that when Jesus speaks, he speaks not his own words, but he speaks the very words of God. And then finally, his face shone like the sun shining in full strength. And so think about this. Go to the beach Not a cloud in the sky, lay down in the sand and look straight on into the sun and do not close your eyes. You cannot do it. That's what John is saying it looks like when you look into the face of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I actually like this passage up until this next point. I'm a brave heart, gladiator, movie kind of guy. And so I can get behind this Jesus. He's a warrior. He's someone I can get behind. This incredible description. But all that comes to a screeching halt for me, if I'm really honest, in verse 17. I don't like this part. I fell at his feet as though dead. And so you can see John here He hits the deck and he curls up in the fetal position saying, please don't touch me, please don't touch me, please don't touch me. And my question is, when is the last time that has happened to us upon encountering Jesus? How do you know that you've encountered Jesus, that you've seen Jesus? You hit the deck. Look all throughout the scriptures, you hit the deck and you fall on your face and you worship. And my question for all of us this morning, including myself, is, is this your Jesus? Is this the Jesus that you love and serve? You see, we all have a version of Jesus, don't we? And in all the editing that we do of Jesus, we end up giving him a makeover, And he ends up on the other end, coming out looking a whole lot like who? Me. And you. We end up making Jesus into a comfortable Savior. And we do this, and to one degree or or the other, we end up worshiping Jesus as we want him to be, rather than worshiping him as he truly is. But look at this image again with me. One thing we can say about this Jesus is he's not comfortable and boring. But he's strong and powerful. And friends, this is the king that we want to exalt on Sunday mornings in the life of our church. Think about it. This Jesus is the one that calls us at the beginning of the service into his presence to worship. This is the Jesus that you pray to, and here's your prayers. He's the one that we pray to in the prayers of the people. And oftentimes, you know what we do? We tame him. 
And we end up making Jesus very, very comfortable in our lives. How do we do that? You see, friends, we make Jesus comfortable when we compartmentalize him. And we, yeah, Jesus, I'm good with you on Sunday mornings, but Monday through Friday, that's all me. I'm going to live for myself. And I'm not going to let you into any other area of my life. Or we make Jesus comfortable when we assume that he's okay with how obsessed we are over our work. Or how obsessed we are over our children. Or students, when we just assume that Jesus is okay with how obsessed you are with your grades and your academics. Or we make Jesus comfortable when we just kind of assume that he dislikes and is irritated with the same people that we dislike and are irritated with. (laughs) Or we make Jesus comfortable when we come to church in our small group and our kingdom community and come to this service and automatically when the word is preached, you start thinking of people out there. I wish people... So-and-so were here so that they could hear this because, boy, they really need it. That's making Jesus comfortable. Or we make Jesus comfortable when all people speak well of us. Remember Luke chapter 6, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus pronounces the woes. You remember that? You know what he says? Woe to you. When all people speak well of you. Because you see, when you follow me, it's going to cost you something. Secondly, we need to be captivated not only with Jesus' power, but also his presence. Look at verse 17. Jesus looks at John and says, do not fear. Why does he say do not fear? Well, because Jesus... Is full of grace and mercy. And if you're kind of reading through the passage, here's what you expect, or it's what I expected, is you're reading it, you're kind of at face value. You expect, you know, John's in the fetal position, okay? Do not touch me. And you expect Jesus to reach out and touch him, and John just burst into flames and a pile of ashes. That's not what happens, is it? You see, what starts out is absolute terror. ends in a deep sigh of relief as Jesus reaches out and touches John with grace and affection and says, John, do not be afraid. You have nothing to fear. I am with you. Be at ease. I am alive. You are alive. I am your Savior. You see, because the lion, the powerful lion, is also the lamb. Look at verse 13. Really easy to miss. Look at it again. And outside of the lampstand stood Jesus. That's not what it says. And in the midst, among the lampstands, was the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 20 tells us that the lampstands are the seven churches. And seven in the book of Revelation means completion. And so what does this mean? It means that Jesus is present and in the midst of his people, the church. And he's in the midst of your life now. And some of you are thinking that cannot be true. 
what I'm going through, it seems like Jesus has left me. Remember, the book of Revelation tells us that things are not as they seem. You see, Jesus is in the midst of the lampstands. And this king, this powerful, holy king that we just talked about, whose ways are not our ways, and who is high and lifted up, and whose ways are beyond tracing out, is powerful. But you know what? And this is why I love Christianity and the gospel. That powerful king is also very personal. And also very present. And he draws near to his people through his word and through prayer and through this table and through the community. And then the question becomes, so what? What does this actually mean for our life day to day? Well, the first thing it means is this should humble us. Because the Lord your God is in your midst. And so if you're here this morning, uh, he is here through his word and sacrament and through the community and students as you go off to school. You do not go alone. Jesus is with you. As you go to your workplace, he is with you and into your small group and into your home and into your kingdom community. And there's tons of application that we could make. But one application, I think, is this. You are never the most important person in the room. And I don't know about you, but I think that is the greatest news in the world. Because we oftentimes do not think that way, do we? We think that everyone notices what we wear. We think that our opinion is the best opinion and the only opinion and the right opinion. And we get frustrated and upset and hurt when people don't notice us or notice that we're sad or struggling in some particular way. And Jesus is always present with you. And that is such good news because it frees you to forget about yourself and saying, Jesus is the most important person here and I can go love and serve people instead of use them to accomplish my purpose and to make me feel better about myself. Second application, though, that I think is extremely comforting is he is among the lampstands. He's present with you. And think about the community that he's writing to. He is writing to people who are suffering terribly. Because just like you know, John knows that the best medicine for someone who is suffering and struggling is what? To know that they're not alone. And so John comes and says, listen, i got lots of things to say, and we're going to talk about all that crazy stuff in Revelation, but before I get to any of that, I want you to know that this powerful Jesus, this one that I've just described to you, is not aloof from your suffering. But he's actually present with you. He is among the lampstands. And he is in your midst. And here's what I want you to think about is there is not a Sunday morning in this church that someone does not walk into these doors that they're not suffering. That they're not filled with pain. That they have not experienced the brokenness of this world in which we live. And here's the question. How can they still worship? 
You know how they can still worship? They can worship and be comforted because you know what? This powerful Jesus that we read about here did not run from suffering himself. He does not stand aloof from us and say, hey, y'all figure it out. I know it's really hard and I know you're struggling, but I'm sorry. No, no, no. This Jesus hits suffering head on and he identifies with your pain. He has gone through everything that you have gone through and he enters into you in whatever it is that you're going through. And not only does he identify with you, but he is with you. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor and he had this older lady that joined his church and the session asked her several questions and she knocked it out of the park, of course. And then he looks at this older lady and says, do you have any questions for me? And the lady looks and says, well, yes, I do. What will you do for me while I'm dying? And my friend looks and says, are you dying? She said, yes. And then he says, are you afraid? And she says, I'm terrified. My friend looks at her, her pastor, and says, here's what I can do. I can take you to Jesus, so you do not have to be afraid. And I can surround you with a community of people, so that you do not have to be alone. I don't know your story. But I do know that people in this room are going through some really difficult things. And as your pastor this morning, I don't know. I don't know why the depression will not go away. I do do not know why your parents are dying of cancer. I do not know why your friend committed suicide. I do not know why you cannot shake your addiction. I do not know why your family's coming apart at the seams. The only thing I've got for you is that Jesus loves you. And this Jesus is with you. And you are not alone. And notice that I said this Jesus. Because you know what? We make Jesus out to be the biggest wimp in the planet. Oftentimes, that's what we do. We have this image of Jesus with the neatly trimmed beard and the flowing hair, and he's a wimp. Friends, this Jesus is not soft. This Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, he is with you. And that makes all the difference because a weak, wimpy Jesus is of absolutely no comfort to you in the midst of your suffering. This Jesus. If he is with you, it makes all the difference, doesn't it? Because suddenly, you can look that suffering in the eye and have courage and hope in the midst of it. Friends, Dickie shared earlier, God has been good to this church. He was so good to give you a pastor for 30 years that was so faithful and loved you so well. And he's been good to help us during the transition of this church. And he is at work And it's an exciting time in the life of our church. But let me be clear about one thing. Adding new people 
Fall ministry programs. Yes, they're wonderful. That's exciting. Renovations to the sanctuary. That's fun. That's exciting. Going to two services. That's exciting. But those things will not sustain us. This Jesus, He is the one who will sustain us. And He is what we need to encounter every single Sunday when we come here and worship together on Sunday mornings. You see, thousands of DCers were in the presence of greatness that morning underneath Washington, D.C. when they were heading on their morning commute and they totally missed it. Every single week, thousands of people sit in pews just like this one across the country and they're in the presence of a great Savior. And they totally miss it. So my question for all of us as we depart this morning is will we? Will we? See, my hope and prayer for our church is that when people come here, that they will encounter Jesus, this Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, and we will exalt him and praise him, and that he would become real to our hearts, and that our lifeless, bored hearts would be stirred, and that he would be real to us and give us courage to embrace the suffering and the pain that we are looking at in the eye right now at this moment. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, would you forgive us for the ways that we have tamed you? Forgive us for the ways that we've made you comfortable. Would you come and move us by this passage and through your word and through our singing and even through the choir as they sing here in a minute. Move us through the table. Lord, we need to be changed and we need you desperately. We need to encounter you. We can't do that alone. We need your help. And so please come and help us. In Jesus' name, amen.